Tuesday, December 29th, 2020, and this is the Talk Film Society Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Marcelo Pico, Editor-in-Chief of Talk Film Society. Uh, Here to introduce another episode in our series covering the films 2020. That's right, the films of 2020. Um, uh, The long and short of it is, uh, you know, it's it's been a crazy last year. Um, and maybe we need some, uh, we need some help, uh, you know, uh, talking about putting a spotlight on movies we may have missed or maybe forgotten about because it's been just so crazy. Um, uh, and two prime examples of that are on this episode. Uh, one of them is Duff Odd Bloods. Uh, in the first segment, you'll hear me and Ryan Oliver discussing Duff Odd Bloods and it's a movie that's still my favorite movie of the year after having rewatched it for this show. And it's a movie that came out this past summer. And for many, many reasons, uh, you know, I don't blame anybody for having missed this. Um, maybe they watched it and just need a reminder of how amazing this movie is. But yeah, um, definitely one of the greats in my book and Ryan's book, one of the greats of 2020. And I was uh, excited to talk about it for this series. So that's the first film, first segment of this episode, me and Ryan. And then about 45 minutes in, you'll hear a uh, hear me talking Wolfwalkers with Brendan Agnew and Brendan Foley. Uh, and this movie is one, you know, completely opposite of Duff Odd Bloods. I had not seen this movie, uh, you know chances are maybe I would have missed it if it was for this podcast series and yeah it was a pleasant surprise it was a, it was a great little uh, find for me uh, something I would not have like been uh, you know nothing I would have immediately gone to see I think if I'm being honest I talk more about that in the next segment in the second segment of this of this episode but before I toss it to myself talking to uh, these great guests about these great movies, let me talk to you about the Patreon, patreon.com slash talkfilmsociety. Go there to support us. If you're a fan of any of our shows, not just this one, um, then why not uh, help us out, help us stay uh, online, uh, help, uh, you know, because uh, we need help uh, hosting these episodes um, on our various feeds on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc., and yeah, uh, also follow us on Twitter at TalkFilmSOC. Uh, but that's it. That's what the intro I wanted to give. Uh, also, Happy New Year. I mean, I'm releasing this a few days before, um, or like a day or two before uh, New Year's. Uh, but yeah, Happy New Year. Um, hopefully 2021 is a lot better overall. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. Hope you stay safe. Please stay safe. And now please enjoy these next two segments, um, talking Wolfwalkers and Duff Eye Bloods. Here with me on this uh, on this new segment, on a on another segment of my uh, ongoing 2020 films series, is uh, my guest Ryan Oliver. Hello, Ryan. Hey Marcelo, how's it going? It's going great. Having a, it's a nice. Uh, just had to double check. It's a Monday, right? Monday night. 
It is a Monday night. Yeah, these days just kind of blur together as it is, so I totally, totally understand that. But it is it is Monday evening. It's Monday evening, um, a few days before Christmas. Uh, although by the time people listen to this, it's you know past that. It's it's I think maybe uh, New Year's, close to New Year's. But whatever. I uh, 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 I also want to say, hey, uh, be safe out there. I want to emphasize that. Uh, you know, um, what? How about this? You know, how about our recommendation for this segment is uh, don't go out, stay in, watch a movie, because um, <laughs> it's been it's been a crazy <laughs> year and uh, there's plenty to watch at home. That's kind of like the uh, a running theme throughout my you know series on the films of 2020. There are movies out there that are at your reach that you may have like missed over the past year. Uh, that you know it's not so simple to like go to a theater and watch you know quote-unquote Oscar bait or, you know, whatever films, whatever prestige films are coming out in December, you know, that's, you you can't do that this year. So why not stay at home and watch some of these great movies, you know, uh, on streaming services or on VOD or on Blu-ray? One of those films uh, that I'm excited to talk about uh, is, uh, you know what, Ryan, why don't you tell me, um, because I've asked my guests, like, what 2020 film they want to talk about uh on this uh, on the show ryan tell me the film you ended up uh choosing uh i ended up choosing spike lee's to five bloods yes um i i can go ahead go ahead and confirm it on my end this is my favorite movie of the year uh i rewatched this last night and was like because of course with any movie i have to give it at least like two three watches to confirm by my second watch i'm like yeah this is this is it this is my number one um and i'm glad you picked it ryan uh because it's uh it it has been getting uh you know more acclaim now as, as, as we end the year and as we start this very long protracted oscar season <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, no it, yeah it's uh going through the end of february now of 2021 um, but rightfully so, people are talking about this movie. Uh, Ryan, tell me about um, how about this? Let's go back to when this film was released this past uh, summer. Talk about uh, your anticipation for it and and you watching it for the first time. My anticipation for it was pretty high um, for for I mean for two reasons. Number one, I mean it, it's a new Spike Lee movie. Of of course, there's there's plenty of reason to be excited about that. Um, you know, he's coming hot off of Black Klansman, which finally won him him uh, an Academy Award, and um, and on top of that, I had gone through um, you know just because the, the the first half of quarantine and we just had more you know we had just had free time on our hands um and so i went through and filled all my Spike Lee blind spots in the oh, wow. months leading up to five bloods yeah um which were a lot actually uh, let me rewind a second not necessarily all but every i watched every narrative Spike Lee film right, right. and i watched a few yeah few documentaries as well um maybe he's so prolific and he's done so many docs and concert films that you know i couldn't couldn't quite cram his entire filmography but i did watch all of his narrative features in that time um so i was incredibly excited for this movie and and then also going back to you know the the pandemic and the shut-in um this you know it it just i I, you know i think it's natural maybe as as a film lover to gravitate towards certain auteurs you know it happens and um you know i was just craving a like 
a auteur-driven, um, like, visionary movie, um, you know, as everything kind of kept getting pushed back and pushed by the wayside in the midst of the pandemic. And so when uh, the release date was finally stamped for Defy Bloods in June, I was very, very excited. Um, and that excited excitement certainly persisted throughout uh, the viewing of the film. Um, I think, you know, I... Uh, it's firmly in my top 10 uh, of the year for sure. And um, I think uh, I was kind of mentioning this off mic before we got started. I think this is the movie of the year. Um, You know, whether, whether subjectively it's your favorite movie of the year or not, just in, in when we look back 10, 20 years from now in, in the hellscape that was the year 2020, I think the five bloods is going to be the movie that sort of stamps, um, stamps this time it's going to be the movie that sort of defines the year um and i think for i think for many reasons some completely incidental um and unfortunate which we can get into yeah but otherwise i mean i think uh i think even despite that the movie um is just a you know being a big bold unapologetic swing from one of our greatest living filmmakers. I mean, I think it's just like excitement enough and we can get into that as well, but I think it just really, really, I just think it, yeah, I just think it's the movie of the year for sure. Yeah. And, um, like to that point, um, I was like, just so desperate for like, like you, Ryan, like, uh, for a movie like this, because at that point during the pandemic, when this came out, uh, in June, uh, yeah, like stuff had been pushed back. Um, theaters were were a, a no go for sure. Um, and I was just like, what's what's gonna happen? Like, how am how am I gonna watch these movies at home? I I was in constant, just like uh, I had this like anxiety of like it's hard for me to concentrate and watch something at home and have it impact me as profoundly as you know as me watching in a theater because in a theater and i know this may be the case for a lot of people it's certainly the case for me it's hard for me to concentrate if i'm at home with my cell phone in reach or even if it's like out of reach like there are many factors that just uh take my attention away if i'm if, if i'm at home and i had that worry uh watching uh duffy bloods uh, at home um but saying all that this is like one of the first movies in quarantine where I was just like focused. It felt like I was watching it in a theater because like I I could not get take my eyes off the screen, and I was just enthralled from beginning to end. And it it lives in my mind as like a it, it proved to me that I can uh, have that attention span and, and I can like uh, uh, get something out of a movie like this and appreciate it to its full extent. Um, I mean, I still would love to, in you know, a year's time, maybe see this on the big screen if 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 that's possible. You know, uh, hopefully, uh, the, uh, you know, they'll they'll show this on the big screen because it feels like a big big screen movie. But still, like at home, I got that experience. Like, yes, this is a a a real punch to the face too, and a real signifier of like this is just how fucked up things are. This is America, um, and uh, I'm glad I'm grateful that it's from. It's it, from an art like Spike Lee, and it has his you know, fingerprints all over it. So yeah, that was my experience watching this for the, watching this for the first time, and it'll always live in in, in my memory you know, as as that experience of like, yes, 
uh, I, I made it through the quarantine and watched a great movie like this. <laughs> and then since then, it's been a lot better. Like these last few weeks have been a lot better about me watching movies at home. But yeah, it, it, it was rough there. And, and um, I'm glad this exists. And it, 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 it hit me in the, in the, at the perfect time. Um, but let's talk more about what this movie is about. Cause we haven't really touched on what this movie is about. Ryan, um, it, it, it talked to me about the plot of this, of, of what's going on in this, uh, Spike Lee joint. Oh, sh- <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, sure thing. So, I mean, the basic, the basic plot, I mean, I mean, the movie's about so much, but the, the bare essential plot, uh, is about four Vietnam veterans, uh, who return to Vietnam to find the remains of their fallen soldier um, back in 1971. Um, and along with him is buried a um, a huge chest of gold uh, that they found in the jungle of Vietnam. Um, so the movie is essentially, um, I guess on the surface, is a bit of a, like, you know, um, there's that sort of, like, alter like greed altering your state of mind a la something like the treasure of the sierra madre oh, yeah. um yeah as like the the like surface level entertainment value of the movie um but then when you peel back the layers it's you know the movie opens with um opens kind of like a fair amount of how lee's movies close where um you have montages and um you have a montage set during uh various uh, points in time between um, 60s and the 70s, um, specifically the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement, um, beautifully set to uh, Inner City Blues by Marvin Gaye. Um, But, um, you know, that's how, I mean, a fair amount of his movies end that way, where it's kind of like linking whatever the story he's telling at any given time to contemporary uh, times, whereas this is kind of the opposite, where you have these soldiers who... um, you know, in the midst of the the Vietnam War, um, you know, simultaneously the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement happening, and you have these soldiers who never really felt right in, during in the war, and they never really felt right at home either, um, and so that sort of enforces this narrative, and so it's like you have this narrative of a, a you know very entertaining adventure movie. But underneath it, the sort of like, as you sort of alluded to, the sort of like things are fucked up. This is America, yeah. um, and it's just like it 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 completely swings for the fences, and which I mean, Spike almost always does. Um, but when he hits it, which I think he does with this movie, um, I think there's very there's few things that are as satisfying as when that happens. Yeah, and. I should mention I'm very jealous that you um, watched all of Spike Lee's narrative films because like that's something that really I need to do because I hit a few uh, blind spots I crossed a few blind spots of, of Spike Lee this past year one of them being Malcolm X which uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks I I don't know why I waited so long to watch it maybe I watched it at the perfect time because it was like around this time and it, 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 it's a profound movie, and 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 like you're saying, like a lot of Spike Lee uh, movies, it has like the these montages, this like real life, um, like this real footage um, that gives you like a, um, I, I don't know, it, it gives you a lesson. That's a, and and it's an important lesson 
or that only can Spike Lee can deliver in a film. Um, some would say tacked on, but it's like no, it's 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 deliberate. Uh, Spike Lee does not pull any punches. He's like, here's here are here's who you should be listening to, and here's why their message is so important. Um, and that stuff in this in 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 the Five Bloods works as well, you know, as you know stuff that he does in Ma- in Malcolm X. So oh, uh, I love just how he handles uh, you know narratives with like real life uh, uh, news and people and mixing all that together absolutely no it's one of my one of my favorite things about his features um and that he um and i know he said this in an interview uh as well and i think it it really pertains to a lot of his movies of how he really he really goes to try and show um like one of my favorite things he does is he's like you know he's like black people as a whole are not a monolith like we're not all like one just like hive mind group um in this interview I'm referring to, he talks about Delroy Lindo's character in this movie, which we can get into. Yeah. Um, but Delroy Lindo's character, who's one of the Vietnam veterans, um, one of the attributes that we see in the movie is he's a Trump supporter. Um, and he has a, he, he wears a, a MAGA hat throughout the movie. Um, and so I, and that's another thing. Um, you see that, like how things are fucked up. To the point where somebody, somebody who we would, you know, somebody who would be perceived would not support somebody like that would be so embattered and, di- you know, disenfranchised by everything that's happening that oh, they yeah. would listen to a con man like Trump. And so, um, you know, that's another fascinating, uh, you know, a fascinating layer to this movie and to that character um, as well. Um, but it, and it like harkens back to I don't know if you have you ever seen um, Get Get on the Bus. I have not 1996. That's another good one. I highly recommend about a yeah. uh, group group of men going to the million man March, but like that one's similar where you see different people, you know, different walks of life, different views, different political views. And um, yeah, I definitely recommend checking that one out as well. But yeah, that's um, that's something I, I, you know, it's a really fascinating aspect of this movie as well. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Delroy Lindo and this whole cast, this whole ensemble is amazing, but um, for good reason, Lindo's getting a lot of the attention. Um, I, well, one of two performances is getting a lot of attention. Uh, Lindo, like, like, like you like you, like you said, uh, uh, Ryan, um, I think what I get from his character, him being like a, a black man who supports, you know, Donald Trump, uh, and what we what we see through his arc, you know, from beginning to end in the movie, I just see anger in his eyes, and he just delivers that anger in his own. Like, at, at points, he becomes like a villain in in this movie, and it's scary. And Lindo pulls it off because oh, he's a tremendous actor, and and uh, credit to him and the scripts of just like it's believable. Because we see that anger every day, like on the news, like uh, hopefully not, you know, in person, but we know it's out there. We know these people feel that they're disenfranchised, but they're channeling their anger in the wrong, you know, into the wrong places. And uh, it's, 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 it's complex. It's multi-layered. And that's why I love Lindo in this. That's why I love his character. And that, that sequence when he's talking to camera which has been like shared and it's, 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 you know, it's a point of like, yes, this is a, this is a performance of the year because of this scene. Um, it's uh, having seen like a clip, like some of it before watching the movie, you know, having it kind of spoiled for me in context in the movie, it, it works tremendously. And that's not even, I don't think like 
his best scene. Like there's like a scene after that that's just as great. Ugh. But Lindo, talk about Lindo, Ryan, and and like what he does in this movie. I mean, you you laid it out perfectly. Like you the you said multi layered, and that's really like it, and that like the tour de force of his performance. And you mentioned that scene where he's talking basically directly to the camera talking to himself and he's like kind of cutting through uh the the brush through with his machete and um you know it's really hard to pull off that like talking sort of crazily to yourself performance and have it be natural uh and within character which it 100 is here but i mean to go to go back i mean he's just the way he shifts throughout the movie is like he seems like he's um you know, he's he's like when they all meet together again, it's like he's he's definitely reserved. He's definitely got that like anger, but he's also very excited to see everybody again. And he like he's cracking jokes and all this. And then like um, and then when his son shows up, played by Jonathan Majors, which is another terrific performance in the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and there's like conflict there between like just how his upbringing has been and, and that. And then once they get into the jungle, um and then, but then, then there's those like those humane moments that that you're talking about. I mean, there's the two specifically. I mean, we'll definitely get into the one you're talking about um, that happens after the talking to himself scene. But yeah. I mean, but there's a scene where they they find um, Norman's remains, who's their fallen um, soldier, and that whole scene um, where it's like everybody, like and including him, who's who is the most like totally like set in his ways character of the five who are seeking the gold out um like even just stops just stops for a moment and they they you know stops for a moment to reflect and honor um and it's just like it's incredible uh i mean it's that that scene's an incredible scene by all actors involved but like especially lindo who just like who just crushes it um and i don't it's like i don't I don't want to talk about it because I'm still having a hard time believing that it happened, but should, I mean, yeah, we should probably address the elephant in the room. Yeah. Here. yeah Cause uh, yeah, this is that, where, what I was like, uh, uh, heading towards too. But, um, yeah. Chadwick Boseman is the other performance who's, who's beginning a lot of tension, um, rightfully so in this movie. And, um, yeah, it's now I'm just like caught in a, um, I don't know. Hopefully I don't get emotional on mic. It was unexpected. It's okay. Nobody expected yeah. what what you know the, the, the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Like I'm still processing it, um, and the fact that this came out in June, and then a few months later uh, Boseman passed away. I knew I was going to have a hard time re- revisiting this movie um, after the fact, and yeah, it was rough watching it again uh, because uh, Boseman's performance in this, in a supporting role as Stormer Norman, as like the, the, the their fallen friend. Ah, just he's he's incredible in this. I, I I don't know what what else to say, but he is perfect in the role. Um, he is his fallen hero, and when when every character says how great he is, you believe it because of Boson's performance in the movie. And then it's there is a re, there's a reason why Spike Lee cast him because he because Boseman off screen is that dynamic person was that dynamic person. That dynamic character and that larger than life figure, and yeah, I'm getting emotional. But yeah, it did. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass it to you, Ryan. Talk about Bozeman's performance. 
I mean, it's 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 incredible, and I I almost I mean I kind of I kind of picked this movie for that reason um, because I don't I, I love this movie and wanted to watch it again, but I don't know how soon I would have been able to watch it again had you know we not discussed it for this podcast. Um, and, and and it's it's you know, and it isn't just. I mean, it isn't just his passing. It's that, like, the whole crux of this movie is about the passing of his character within the movie, too. And so that, you know, just really has a a, a haunting poignance to it. But it's just, like, he is the most incredibly likable, charismatic, um, like you said, both on screen and off. Yeah. And so watching him in this movie it's very clear where like it's just so clear where you know i kind of you know i mentioned the scene where they they memorialize them where they all hold hands and and have the prayer where they all set their own shit aside to honor norman um and i think that that and, and i mean granted within the context of the movie norman passes away young so he doesn't have the weight of everything that they had gone through on his shoulders um you know it's on everybody else's but i think that like um you know you see why you see why the four of them might have issues with one another but nobody has one with norman i guess is like you could see why he was so beloved to them why they're doing this uh you know it, it it's such a believable moment because it's so believable in that you know we know they're looking for gold. We know that there's hardships and the reason why they want that gold. Um, but the memorializing is believable. You believe that they aren't just doing it for the money. Um, and that's what I think that's what makes this more multifaceted than just a, like just a what would be a typical adventure film um, is that's that level of of hurt. Um and it's just uh, yeah and Bozeman's performance is just incredible like like Lindo he's getting a ton of accolades for it rightfully so um it's uh yeah I, I but I'm right there with you where it was just like I when I got to the memorializing scene I had to pause the movie yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah. I was like I, I it was like I, I gotta take a I gotta take a minute here because it just um you know that scene was this scene was emotional watch in June, but it was just like, just kind of <laughs> wrecked me for lack of a better term, watching it, uh, over the course of the last two days. It was, it's just, um, it's tough. Yeah. And I know he's getting a lot of attention for, um, Ma Rainey's black bottom, which I haven't seen yet. Um, and I'll, I, I'll see soon enough, but I need some time. I, I need some time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, me too. Yeah. But, um, I, 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 yeah, uh, just to, to talk a little bit more about Bozeman, um, it's, it first is a goddamn shame because it seemed like he, he still had decades more of, of work ahead of him. And it's insane that, um, in the year of his passing, he's, he, he did two movies that, um, that are going to get him nominations, rightfully so, and get him acclaim. And I just hate the fact that he's not here for that, uh, to reap the rewards. Uh, yeah, I'm still not, I'm still struggling with it, but, um, 
let's get back to this movie <laughs> the five bloods yeah um <laughs> another thing i wanted to point out another reason why i love this movie is um just spike lee's direction um and 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 ryan you can talk more about this because you've actually seen a lot more of his movies than i have but just for this movie alone i'm like god he's playing with aspect ratios and like uh you know i think he shoots some of it in 16 millimeter and some of it digital maybe but just like the way he shifts back and forth between the timelines and the aspect ratio is like i love all that stuff i love spike lee playing with the medium um talk more about that ryan because like that to me is i like i love seeing a a playful spike lee and and like yeah i'm gonna do an epic vietnam movie but i'm gonna do it my own way absolutely i think this is the first time that i can recall i mean there are some times where he does subtly shift the aspect ratio it's definitely more overt here like there's a scene i don't know if you've ever seen crooklyn um, not yet no but there's a um but there's a scene when um the eldest daughter goes to visit her aunt and uncle um in i think in georgia um but um any anyway uh where it like it it uh it like shrinks in where it's it's um ah. and, and stretches so it's kind of like it looks where like everyone is like tall and like taller and thinner and a little distorted uh to the point where um you know going through his films i was i was like uh i'd never seen that done before so i was like wait did did something happen to my TV? Do I need to recalibrate? <laughs> uh, and then it turns out, that, and then it happened, and I can't remember the movie, but it happened in another one. I was like, oh, okay, that's a deliberate stylistic choice. Okay, cool, got it. Um, but this is the first time I've seen him overtly play with aspects ratios to the point where it goes from, like, um, I mean, there are three different ones, right? I mean, it's yeah. one six, there's Academy ratio for the Vietnam flashback sequences. Um, and I think those were shot in 16 millimeters. as yes. you alluded to. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then it's like, uh, it's like scope. It's, it's like, like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, like, it's like cinema scope ish. Yeah. And then it goes to full, like, I'm, I'm not gonna say IMAX, but like it, it, it has the full fills out the entire yeah, like, uh, uh, screen wide, like 1.85. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and so and, I, and, and I was oh, gonna go say ahead. it's not like um, it, it, it's deliberate choices because I think uh, about halfway through when they um, I guess when when they're uh, trekking through Vietnam is when they it it, it like expands to one eight five and it's it to me when I, like I think that's one of my favorite moments stylistically of the year. Well, it's my it's in my favorite movie of the year, but still like. I was not expecting that. I was like, oh, like I, I was getting used to like, the, the two aspect ratios in the first half. But then when you switch to the third aspect ratio, I was like, you know what, Spike Lee, I'm sold. This is my favorite movie of the year. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> I, I just love that there's like purpose to it. Similar, similarly to, I guess another one that comes to mind is like Grand Budapest Hotel, which also was yeah, deliberate too. in you know its aspect yeah. ratio choices. Yeah. yeah, I like that too, and it isn't just you know showy for the sake of doing it. Right. Um, and I and but like it do, it's it's in a way that's like super tasteful and and you know and I mean you mentioned theaters. I I'm earlier. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I did want to go back to that to the point where like I do wish hopefully to see this in a theater someday um, as well. I think that I mean hopefully you know maybe one of the independent theaters by either you or myself will do a Spike Lee retrospective one of these days uh and then it'll do this because um you know I would love to and I I actually thought like kind of going theatrically um one movie I thought of a lot and not just because it's also a Netflix movie but I I uh 
I thought of the Irishman a, a little bit watching uh, this movie. Like it feels like Spike Lee's sort of like version of that. Not and again, not just because it's Netflix, but because it's a accumulation of the various themes and stylistic techniques and all these stuff that he's done throughout his entire career and coalescing in an epic that sort of is self-reflective um, on both himself, self-reflective to in a greater sense. Um, and I was fortunate enough to see the Irishman in a, in a theater uh, in a you know, very large theater. And so like, I was thinking, thinking that in my head, I was like, I wish I was watching this on, on the biggest screen because yeah. it just, you know, envisioning those aspect ratios changing and just the, the boldness, the vision, I, you know, would just, yeah, I want to very you know, badly. I, I love that comparison. Like the only uh, connection I made between the two movies, between Irishman and uh, the five bloods before you gave me that connection was like the, 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 the de-aging and how um, I think, oh, remind me if, if you know this, Ryan, but like, didn't Spike Lee like want de-aging and Netflix was like, we're not giving you money for that or something to yeah, that effect. It is that basically. Yes. And actually I think um, at least the piece I read it from was, was where I uh, write and podcast at over at the playlist. Uh, the, um, I think it was maybe taken from, Hollywood Reporter, but I, I initially read it there. But there, yeah, there was a piece that like, um, you know, because Store says he got like two hundred million to make the oh, Irishman. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, you know, a sane amount. I mean, it's and it's all up there. But like Spike Lee, I think only got like a quarter of that. I think this movie was like fifty million uh, yeah. or something like that. Um, and so yeah, he wanted to do de aging, and he actually had to fight on sixteen millimeter. Right, they were going to say no, and then he he said that. Um, and he was he wanted to do de aging. They said no. Um, as much as I, I'm annoyed by the principle that he was told no, I think it actually works to the benefit of this movie. Yeah, I was going to say do that. it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't like the principle of it, but it actually works better that they're. I mean, they're soft soft focused to kind of make them look younger, but I mean, but they didn't do the full de aging, and I think it helps that sort of like. I mean, it just helps that mindset of the characters that they're still stuck in, you know, they're still stuck in 1971. They're exactly. still stuck in Saigon. Um, and I think that's, um, I actually think he weaved that workaround into, into his benefit for sure. Yeah. Um, and then going back to um, that point about um, how this is, you know, to some effect, Spike Lee's Irishman. I, I totally see that now because like he, he's using a lot of, uh, his actors that he's used for, for, for like decades now, seemingly, right? Like, like Lindo has been like a, a staple in Spike Lee films for forever. Uh, and like this feels like Lindo and Spike Lee, like, you know, of course they're all getting older, like they're all getting, you know, at the, at the tail end of, of their lives and they're telling the story about like aging and dealing with the past. And yeah, that connection between the Irishman, I, I love that, Ryan. I, I, I never really made that connection until just now. Uh, so thank you. Uh, oh, and by the way, I also saw Irishman in theaters last year. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote about it, uh, on my top 10. Uh, I was like, you know what? It's a crazy time, 2019. You know, Netflix is putting out these movies. I'm watching them in theaters. Uh, who knows what's going to happen next year? Maybe things will change, and they certainly did. But it's 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 crazy that Netflix now has like uh, you know uh, has made a Spike Lee movie uh, to me that is a masterpiece and is my favorite movie of the year. So I, I'm happy for that at least, uh, and I do hope I get to see it in theaters eventually. 
Um, because it's, Absolutely, you know, yeah. and you and you see that a little bit on Netflix too. Um, I mean, it, it's it's certainly not a one to one. I mean, it, it's it's um, you know there are certain filmmakers who go make a movie for Netflix, and it's seemingly uh, like a yeah a masterpiece like The Irishman or this movie, right. um, or or they're great filmmakers kind of eh, maybe hang them out to dry with hang themselves out to dry with their carte blanche money but either way <laughs> whether whether it's either or i am happy that like you know i'm happy that netflix is giving these filmmakers a shot um to make these movies that would not have been made in a major studio um i mean i think lee's probably closest approximation to this other than malcolm x would be something like uh, Miracle at St. Anna, probably, which is his other crack at a war movie, um, which was a huge bomb at the time. Um, unfairly so. I think if there was a, if there was one thing, um, I think this movie is nearly flawless, but if there was one thing, minor nitpick, and it's not even that bad, um, I think the war, the actual like war action sequences are a little clunky like the the digital blood's not super great it's it's a little it's a little shaky um i actually think the war sequences in miracle saint anna are better and more immersive than these but the story here is better everything else is stronger here so it's like i'm not going to complain about it but um you know i just don't think even after the huge success black klansman was i just don't know if if a studio was going to make this movie so uh, i'm glad netflix did yeah absolutely um well any any final final words on the five bloods ryan before we move on um i don't think so i think i've said um yeah i think i've said my piece on the movie i mean the the movie is it's great and and like i said i think for for many reasons I, i think whether it is the the passing of of chadwick boseman or or the um or, or or this coming out just after the the protests in the wake of the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, I think that um, what uh, this is the movie of the year, kind of like to tie it back to the top of the episode. I think what I, I think it's the movie of the year for its content, for it the movie itself, and I think it's the movie of the year because of the ancillary things that have happened. Um, before and after it um that tie i think directly into what the movie is speaking to and um yeah for that reason i just i just think this is the one film that um you know if you could pick any one to stay or remember from 2020 i think i think this is it yeah well put and i totally agree um but yeah but speaking of 2020 i wanted to talk to you about this too um, because I've been talking to all my guests about this recently, because I I, I want to know different perspectives on how people have been dealing with uh, 2020 as a whole and the movie watching, how that's changed, um, over this past year. So yeah, Ryan, um, uh, tell me like uh how how you watch movies now versus how you used to obviously it's a you know it's a it's a it's a question that's pretty simple to answer it's it's simple to answer i could think <laughs> but also just how like how that how 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 big of a struggle or maybe not of a struggle that has been uh, and also we'll get into like some of your other favorite movies of the year sure thing um i mean i think the biggest struggle i mean it, it's the concentration you you kind of t- laid it out uh, at the start of this episode about, um, you know, it's, it's about harder to watch things at home. And, um, 
you know, I think um, my son's fortunately a little bit older now, but like at the start of this, um, you know, he was six months old. And so it, it was just, it was already harder to watch things at home because kind of had to schedule the time to watch things and have to watch it at a quieter, vo- quieter volume with subtitles, um, which I don't mind the subtitles by any stretch um, at all. But, um, you know, just, I, I, I think the focus is tough because, um, you know, kind of before, before the pandemic hit, um, you know, after, after my son was born, I was kind of going to less movies as it was, but we were finally kind of getting a rhythm to where I was going. Um, you can probably hear my wife laughing about that. Um, but, uh, you know, we were finally, like, finally getting a rhythm and I was going, um, you know, we kind of got it like once he was sleep trained and, and I went to the movies, um, usually like the late, uh, like the late Thursday night show, uh, like the yeah. Thursday preview showing. Um, so like I was, uh, you know, I used to go two, three, four times a week before my son was born. And then that, that, uh, ceased to happen even uh, even before the pandemic, but I was starting to go again one, maybe two times a week. And right. then, uh, and then it was kind of like a slap back <laughs> to, uh, like, Oh, well now I got to watch him at home. But, um, but you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, making it work. It's, it's sometimes I stay up a little later just so I could catch up with things, um, you know, after he goes to bed and, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's just not the same though. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll admit, and it's not, you know, to, to each their own, right? I don't think there's a right or wrong way to go about this, but it's like, I, I made it out to the theater once, um, during this, I went and saw Tenet. Um, I didn't get concessions. I wore my mask the whole time and I went to showing of six, like there were six people in it, but like I went cause I, I was just like, I, I, and it wasn't even like, just because I felt like. You know, like I know there was a lot of discourse surrounding that movie in particular and how it was released, but I'm just like, I if I have a shot to go to the theater, I just want to, you know, I want to do it. If I feel unsafe, I'll leave. Um, right. You know, but I didn't, and it's the only time I made it out. But like, I don't regret it because it was like, it just, it felt right, even though it was a sort of compromised experience, and it had to be. Um, but it was just like, it was just good again, and so. Um, yeah, I just I, I look forward to the day when that can happen again. Hopefully, in the next you know six months or so. Yeah, and and Brian, let me let me tell you. And I, I've said this before on on the podcast, but uh, I made it out three times. And let me let me cut to the chase and say I'm there. I'm not going back till I get the vaccine. <laughs> because yeah, that's the, totally fair. Yeah, the the last time I went, I saw uh, Mank, and um, oh that oof, okay. Listen, I'm glad I did it. Okay. But a day after I saw Mank in theaters, um, I got the news that my mom tested positive for COVID. Uh, she, you know, she, uh, my, my parents live three hours away, but still, like, that, you know, going to see Tenet and there's plexiglass everywhere. I'm, I'm in a mask for two hours sitting in a theater with, like, you know, five other random people around me. Uh, that experience was scary, but then the scary earth thing was like getting the news that my my mom got COVID, and she's fine now. Luckily, my dad's fine also because he also got COVID. But yeah, and then yeah, uh, uh, that week I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk that again. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to put myself through that. And yeah, that's the last movie I'll see before um, I go back safely and with a vaccine. So um, certainly, and I'm glad to hear your parents are doing well. Yeah, um, luckily, glad to hear they're doing well. And yeah, and I I agree. It's it's not a you know it's 
it's something we miss dearly as film lovers, but it isn't a necessary risk. So exactly. that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but yeah, t- uh, talk about like some other uh, of your favorite films of 2020 as as we wrap up. Just some just just some quick recommendations. Some some movies that you're like, oh, this was a you know a a, a happy surprise. Oh, ha- oh, oh, sure, certainly, certainly. Um, another, I'll, I'll just, I'll just run down the list here. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, for for a second, keeping it in the Spike Lee camp, uh, David Byrne's American Utopia, uh, which is on HBO and HBO Max, uh, could not recommend enough. Um, how David Byrne is, you know, now part of two of the greatest like rock movies ever. Yeah. is just impressive to Love me. Um, hundred percent. Um, uh, quick hit down the line here. Uh, First Cow the latest Kelly Reichert film, uh, someone whose f- filmography I also got a chance to go through the entirety of um, during this pandemic. Um, I think First Cow is actually amongst her best movies. Um, it's pretty great. Um, speaking of directors who also did their best movie, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things Oh yeah, um, is another one that was like a total gut punch. Um, and, and the first of his directorial efforts that like, emotionally affected me i've always been impressed like cerebrally if that's a word but i (laughs) i I, I haven't really felt those movies on an emotional level that he's directed until uh that one um and then quick hit down the line i think you just did episodes on these but uh sound of metal and possessor are also probably my top 10 uh pixar soul i highly recommend uh i guess you said this will drop after new year so it'll be available for people to watch um there you go so highly recommend that um elizabeth moss double feature invisible man and shirley both fantastic um and baccarat as well um is is in my top 10 and then with the five bloods that pretty much rounds it out i would say oh nice yeah uh uh a few of those I still need to watch. I I need to desperately watch Shirley because I am a huge Elizabeth Moss fan. Um, uh, her performance in Invisible Man, oh, so great! It's so good, so great, it's so good. But yeah, I've heard so many yeah. great things about Shirley. I need to I need to watch that. I, uh, I think you'll dig it. It's it's very very good. I don't know if you saw um, Josephine Decker's previous movie, Madeline's Madeline, um, but I think I think this one was. Uh, improvement of it oh to, my uh, god to me anyway. i think i did see that oh my gosh now now, now i've even now i'm even more excited because i i didn't know that she did that too wow okay um i'll probably watch that this week um thank you ryan Th- this was a fun conversation uh it's a joy to talk to you about uh duff five bloods and other great movies uh, before we go plugs uh, where can the people listening find you online Oh, sure. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at Ryolli90. That's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90. Uh, it's pretty much the same, I think, across same uh, all socials, Letterboxd, uh, Instagram. Uh, and then I occasionally write and podcast for theplaylist.net, um, so you can find me over there as well. Awesome. Do that, folks. Uh, Ryan, thanks again. <laughs> I'd like to welcome to the show, to the Talk Film Society podcast, Brendan Foley and Brendan Agnew. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> uh, we were just talking off mic. Um, uh, Brendan Agnew, uh, this is the first time I'm talking to you. Uh, not the first time you've showed up at a Talk Film Society podcast uh, episode. 
a show, but first time you and I are, are chatting. Uh, hello. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on. It's a, it's a good good outfit y'all have going on here. We do okay work. I mean, it's fine. We're, we're about to cross 666 podcast episodes pretty soon. I'm excited about that milestone. Um, and uh, this won't be the 666. It'll probably be like 675 or something around then. Um, but anyway. Um, oh, and, and by the way, oh, let me introduce, you know, uh, Brendan Foley. Hello, Brendan. <laughs> How's it going, man? <laughs> um, just to just to you know, for the listeners, uh, I'll call Brendan Foley Foley and Brendan Agnew Agnew. You know, just to you know uh, differentiate because uh, we we discussed uh, we discussed off mic. Uh, it's not the first time I've had guests or a host and a guest who have the f- same first name, so there's always that confusion. Um, and I actually didn't realize it until I I made the little dm twitter group i go oh, wait a second these guys have the first you know have, they're, 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 I, got, I got two brendan's on one show what am i doing i'm a bad I'm a bad host but no we're gonna make it work brendan's okay uh, uh foley i mean we were talking you were on last year for the end game uh special episode of um yes. tfs assemble uh, one year and like seven lifetimes ago. I was yeah, yeah. I, I saw on the sky bills like a year. Uh, it was more than a year ago, and yeah, it, it, it felt like five years ago. At this point, because um, yeah, time makes no sense anymore. Um, so on Twitter, and I'm sure I went over this in the intro too. On Twitter, I prompted people. I was like, "Hey, uh, anybody want to be a guest on my podcast?" Because um, to be frank, I hate scheduling people and asking people and uh booking people on my shows because it's always a drag and uh i always have this um uh, hesitation and uh, some would say fear this anxiety of like asking somebody and saying and wondering if they want to be on and i was like you know what i'll bypass that this time around because one i'm lazy and one and two you know maybe there are people who are excited to be on a show where it this the, the premise is, is straightforward enough 2020 movies like that's that's it okay i just want to you know pick a movie you know pick a guest or two guests for one movie whatever what have you and just just talk about this you know this presumably great movie uh of uh, a great movie 2020 so that was the premise and i got plenty of great guests that i have booked for the next you know a few weeks now thanks to that prompt so i'm happy so um and I, I, I you know to kind of kick this thing off because you guys are the first two uh i'm recording um in this little block of, of guests i've scheduled um and i watched this movie we're going to talk about here in a bit i watched this movie last night and I, I guess my point is what a great way to kick this you know this, this, this little <laughs> block off because i really dug this movie uh i'm gonna i'm gonna throw i'm gonna flip a coin and pick agnew agnew talk about the movie uh that we're discussing for this segment so we're talking about wolf walkers which is the new cartoon saloon joint uh from the same people who did like their first feature film was back in 2009 with the secret of kells and they've done some like if you follow uh 2d animation or semi-indie feature animation. Um, they're the guys who did, like, The Breadwinner and uh, Song of the Sea came from that studio. And this particular um, 
artist, uh, director, writer, pair. Um, they've been working on sort of a um, an Irish folklore uh, triptych that Wolf Walkers is the the, the third chapter in. Um, and it's it's you know two D hand drawn mostly, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, Foley and I have both been kind of like champing at the bit to see this ever since it was announced. <laughs> We, we have problems when it comes to... <laughs> I, I think this particular filmmaker speaks to us very personally, and not just because a couple of his characters get named, you know, Brendan every now and then. But. It does help, though. It does help a lot. <laughs> Sells the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's a... Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into, like, more details, but uh, it, it kind of feels like, I guess, a... Um, a culmination of everything that the the filmmakers have kind of worked on before, and uh, the, a lot of their um, influences are felt very, very clearly um, in this film, but also filtered through a very personal uh, story and, and uh, storytelling lens. Uh, Foley, I'm going to ask you, um, talk about your anticipation for this movie and the movies that came before out of uh, Cartoon Saloon. Yeah, so the, the first big one was Secret of Kells, uh, which was, I believe it was 2009 it came out, and it was kind of uh, an underground thing where that was a year of like Up and Ponyo, and I believe Fantastic Mr. Fox was that year. So it was all these uh, great movies, and then here's this tiny little hand-drawn cartoon from some nobody Irish studio that was so beautiful and so moving and so unlike anything else that was happening in animation at that time. And so with each film since then, you've seen that same uh, visual style and approach get refined uh, more and more. Uh, the, the, they moved on to Song of the Sea with Tom Moore's next film, and Song of the Sea is just unbelievably gorgeous. And also the storytelling has continued to improve, whereas The Secret of Kells is a very moving film, but has a very sort of uh, you know, straightforward kind of quest, you know, a very simple story, I guess I would say. Um, and with each subsequent film, they refine their approach and get stronger and stronger at that aspect as well, as well as improving on the animation. So anytime he has a new movie, like, okay, well, I can't wait to see what he comes up with this time. Uh, and from the moment they announced it sounded exciting, and then the second we saw footage, you're like, wow, this looks unlike anything else, even from the studio. I mean, uh, you're going to have a lot of people on this show talking about uh, different movies from this year, but I think we can say this is the most beautiful film to come out of 2020, just from like a visual level. Uh, it is every frame of it is a work of art, and when it's emotion, it truly does feel like you are like moving through a dream. Like it, it's a, a real achievement for this studio and this filmmaker. You know, it's two of them, um, unlike anything else that anyone's put out this year, I would say. I think it's, I think it's a safe call. This is, in terms of beauty, the the, the best looking film of the year. Uh, from my point of view, I, I I think I completely agree with you. Uh, because it, it, this blew me away and I should say um, I mean I do love animation but for whatever reason I'm not like completely drawn to it you know I was going to say don't I hate that I hate that I did that um, but like I'm not immediately like oh you know it's 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 a new movie from so and so a new animated movie from this studio well, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, having said that, this is my first cartoon saloon movie. I have not seen uh, Secret of Kells, Song of the mm-hmm. Sea, The Breadwinner, and 
I have problems, obviously, because I, I should go back and watch, you know, Secret of Kill, Song of the Sea. <laughs> because after seeing this, I'm like, oh, what am I missing? Like, this is what I'm missing. Like, I, uh, if, it, <laughs> if those movies are as good as this, or like as near as good as this, mm-hmm. then yeah, I, I, I it, it, not to do a complete tangent, but I also have the same thing about musicals, like classic musicals. I just never really got right. into them, and I have to be like forced to watch them. So yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I'm glad I did this. Where I knew Wolfwalkers was one I needed to see because I mean, you two were talking about it endlessly on Twitter, and also just the <laughs> fact that, and the fact that oh, we should also say this. This is an Apple Plus release uh, from Apple Studios. Yep. And I mm-hmm. fortunately have, you know, Apple Plus. Um, long story, but I'm not paying for it. I have it for free, so um, I'm not going to get into that again because I've talked about way too many times on this podcast series about me stealing <laughs> Apple Plus from Apple, but it's fine. Um, but I, I, I you know, um, I, I do respect what Apple Plus, what Apple Studios is doing so far because I've, I've enjoyed a, you know a few of their movies and TV shows that they've released this past year. So I'm like, yeah, like. Uh, this was on my list, and I was bound to enjoy it, and I'm I, and I'm glad I did enjoy it. So, um, Agnew, why don't you talk about why, in particular, this movie affected you the way it did? Okay, well, that's a big. Uh, I know it's a big, <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> well, if if we're gonna talk about that, we should probably talk about like some of the uh, things that um, that the filmmakers drawing from because uh, Tom Moore and and also Ross Stewart, um, who's the uh, I, I believe it's Ross Stewart who's the co-director on this, um, and and has been like they've they've kind of like worked together as artists for um, all of the the run going back to uh, um, going back to like. Uh, uh, the secret of kills. Um, but the like this particular filmmaking team, you can very clearly see, especially in Wolfwalkers, um, a lot of like '90s Miyazaki, '90s yep. Disney animation influence. Um, yeah, there's there's uh, at least like two big old scoops of like. Judge Frollo in the film's main antagonist. <laughs> um, Princess Mononoke is a very clear sort of like, uh, like doing a double feature with this and Mononoke would be a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, oh, we we kind of have un- sort of buried the lead. Like for people who don't know the story, like Wolfwalkers is essentially a an Irish folklore werewolf movie um, about yep. uh, two two English uh, um, an English girl and her father who's a hunter and they're in Kilkenny, Ireland, in the the walled city that is currently under the dominion of, they don't call him Oliver Cromwell, but he's very clearly Oliver Cromwell um, during the 17th century. And um, the the main thing is, you know, like I said, it's ba- it's basically like a take on a werewolf movie. You know, there's people who are part people, part wolves living in the forest. And uh, the young girl, Robin, um, Sean Bean plays her father, the hunter. Uh, she gets like caught up in this whole thing between the expanding city, um, Oliver Cromwell trying to tame the countryside, this young girl and her mother who are the the titular wolf walkers, the the magic uh, shape shifting people who live with the wolves in the forest. Um, and so like there's there's a lot of very um, very familiar elements, but like I said, it's it's filtered through a very uh, defined personal point of view. And what really affected me most, aside from just the um, like the obvious beauty that we've talked about, like it's it's this very gorgeous combination of like high detail, but also very um, impressionistic. Like they leave a lot of uh, model 
like like character model lines in and they have like some very sort of outside the lines coloring patterns to make it look sort of intentionally messy at times um but aside from that i think the the biggest thing is just the the way it it lands all these big emotional beats in interesting ways um like it it's telling a story that you've seen the shape of before but it always does something just a little bit different and fun and unique. Like when Robin's about to leave the city to go into the woods, because of, of course she's not supposed to go into the woods, but she's going to go into the woods. <laughs> That's what kind of story this is. She's going to go into those fucking woods. And so she's going to like sneak out past the guards. And like so many movies that you've seen this sort of thing in before, it'd be like, oh, maybe she like, you know, uh, climbs over a thing and sneaks past them. Or maybe the cute animal sidekick does a thing. Um, instead in this, she shoots down the English flag and a bunch of Irish street urchins run off with it. And that's what distracts the guards. And you've got like this, you know, these, these citizens, you know, who are, again, it's an occupied city, you know, saying, go on, you little rebels. Yeah. And it's just this really fun little like beat of like, oh, it's, it accomplishes a very clear, um, functional story, story purpose, but in a way that again we don't see this sort of point of view and this sort of like twist on sort of things before and that just happens throughout the entire film um so you've got like all this really solid just from a functional screenplay perspective like narrative and character work but it's always being done in a very fun and fresh feeling way yeah it doesn't and it doesn't have the as agnew says like it's a very familiar story shape but it doesn't have the sort of structure you expect from like a children's film um, where there's a very like concrete a-, a-, a to Z story with like, these are the, you know, this is where you know, you're starting at point A, you have to get to point Z. Here's the obstacles that are in the way. Here's the life lesson you have to learn. It's more behavioral story. It's like you just kind of watch these characters and they make a choice. And this is the consequence. And they have to deal with that um, compared to something Another movie, a movie that I really, really like this year, uh, Onward, uh, again, a movie I really, really like, but that's a movie where it's like in the first, you know, 10 minutes, they, they, let, they lay out the entire A to Z linear journey. Here's the life lesson you have to learn. Here's all the, 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 the pit stops you're going to make along the way to learn a lesson each time. And then it hits those beats, bing, bing, boom, and, and, it, and it does a great job of that. But Wolf Walker's isn't really interested, and this is true for all of, you know, the cartoon saloon movies, they're not interested in hitting those points and following that kind of class structure where it's like, we're just going to follow these characters and watch them and we'll, you know, and we'll take the time to kind of observe them in their lives and let the story kind of accumulate around the choices they make rather than here are the, the beats we have to hit because those are the beats that everybody hits. You know, that's the form that everybody has to do. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. One of the things that, that Foley and I have like kind of talked on, uh, on Twitter about is the, you know, we're, we're both very big fans of like functional screenplay and storytelling in, in children's like, you know, Pixar mm-hmm. is really good at like those, those switch, Swiss watch like stories, right? High but, drum. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it also like, it feels a little bit boxed in, mm-hmm. in a way that, um, that Tom Moore's like storytelling style feels like more discovered, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. It, yeah. It feels like a story that you're discovering, not a story that's playing out along tracks that have been perfectly assembled. Yeah, it's it's a great point, and and uh, to your point, uh, fully. Like I, I did like Onward a lot. I I did, mm-hmm. but it did follow. It's, fun. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but it, it suffers from that. Like you got, like you guys are saying, like that um, already fleshed out, like proven 
you know, a solid plot that Pixar likes to, you know, yeah. uh, put out. And, and Pixar, Pixar. It, yeah, it's it, and it's there <laughs> to follow. But with this, I'll just say I was legitimately surprised by a lot of what happened by the end, like where the story ends up, and I don't wanna, I don't want to spoil it. Um, I should also say, you know, for anybody who got like an Apple device this Christmas, uh, uh, it comes with a free year of Apple Plus. So why not put this on your watch list? Uh, and also, uh, Ted Lasso, <laughs> that's a good show too. Um, but it it it, it legitimately is. surprised me, and I, and I don't want to give away those surprises because even halfway through something happens, and I'm like, wow, like they're, re- they're they're going for this, and then like the final ten minutes something else happens, and then the final frame of the movie that was <laughs> completely surprising too. <laughs> And that's something I don't see a lot of from, you know, Disney or Pixar because, yeah, I don't know. It, it This just feels more fresh and more like um, not improvisational, but more just like, yeah, finding what these characters will actually do and throwing these scenarios at them. And then the results are not what you expect. So that's what I appreciate about this movie at the very end. I go, wow, this is this was Jimmy surprising and not where I expected to go. And, and and they and they they do you know like, like Agnew says this is the third film in a in a triptych. Uh, you can see when you when you presumably when you watch Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea that they have their own formula, their own like uh, favorite things. Uh, there are more absent mothers in these movies than any run of Disney ever had. Uh, every movie is about an absent mother, a kid with an absent mother, and an emotionally guarded father figure, uh, exploring like the boundaries between. Modern, you know, modern Christian society, like ancient pagan magic, but each time, what what differentiates them is is those characters and is that care they take to to each you know child protagonist is its own person has their own struggles uh, and makes bad choices and has to live with those consequences and it's it's very honest about you know these individual circumstances even while following their own kind of classic mythic story structure. Yeah, so yeah, they're very good at child protagonists who are like selfish little dickheads sometimes. Speaking of those protagonists, I want to I want to um, talk about the cast, the voice cast in this. Um, I, I, the, the the main two girls, um, I, I I I looked it up. They're they're fairly new when it comes to you know acting, voice acting. But then you have like yeah. you know Sean Bean as the father. Of 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 uh, Robin, and then you also have as the villain as Oliver Cromwell. It says here listed the Lord Protector Simon McBurney, which if you don't know, it's he's a great character actor. Um, but it's it's that cast that really helps this story out too, and and the fact that they didn't go and I, I actually don't know. I mean, you guys know more about uh, cartoon saloon than I do, but you know they they they, they could have gone with like maybe the obvious you know child actor choices right like a pixar movie would not you know not to you know not to you know bash them all too much but you know the, you, mm-hmm. you could have got like a Sersha ronin or something i don't know for wolf walkers i don't know mm. but the fact <laughs> that they went with who they did and it just feels like very fresh and new and not voices you've heard before i appreciate that i appreciate I mean, the big, that and, and and how good they are too i mean the, the biggest star of the first two movies is brendan gleason and now i love me some brendan gleason his name is brendan uh, he, I, 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 I should have had him on this show too. Just have three friends. <laughs> he has other qualities besides that, but you know, same friends. That's 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 you know, three fourths of the way. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're completely right that like uh, it's not about finding a star; it's about finding like the right voice for these characters, um, especially for these two little girls who give just a, an amazing performance. Both of them do. 
Yeah, that's kind of been their MO is they they find like one really um if if not like superstar, you know, cuz again, this is like a little Irish studio that um <laughs> that they don't have a whole lot of money. Um but, you know, they're really good at employing uh familiar sounding like, you know, the oh, that guy, that voice, you know. There's right. <laughs> there's a very clear sort of um sense of like this this actor brings a certain gravitas whether it's just voice work or not like they're they're very good for anchoring certain things around and we can we can trust our younger cast and they always try to because they are dealing with children and they always try rather than you know casting a young person to voice act 10 years below their actual age they they try and cast like kids who are close to that actual age and i think that helps them capture some of the you know some of the kind of like wild uh, emotional takes that you'll get from actual children that you don't always get from more coached child actors. Um, but they also do have those like more experienced actors that they can kind of, you know, use to shore up everything else. Like you, um, you also have, uh, there's, there's more like uh, mother, motherly presence, I guess in this uh, than, than you have <laughs> a lot of, uh, and a lot of other stuff. And they, and they, again, you know, for, uh, for the 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 older female characters in this, they they again are are going for you know more like um, experienced and and people who can just, just sort of like shore up everything else. I think the the person who plays like uh, Maeve's mother is like a um, a Tudor's alum. It's like Mary Doyle Kennedy, who's been like she she's been like in basically every fucking thing in terms of like peak TV. And whatnot. <laughs> you know, she's she's one of those like you know very veteran character actors like Sean Bean. And they're very good at like kind of using that to just like draw everything else together because it's like okay we can we can trust you know Sean Bean to sound sad you know he's going to nail that no, no problem <laughs> yeah that's just a natural timber I was going to say there's something very unguarded about the performances that the two girls give uh, Honor Neefsey plays Robin who's like the little British girl and Eva Whitaker plays Beb who is like the the Wolf Walker. Uh, and I don't know what, how those girls are as like live action actors. I mean, they could be one thing that doesn't translate, but just, the, you know, there are big emotional scenes in this movie. And when they get in, it doesn't feel like child actors, you know, reaching for, you know, to cry on cue. It feels like, wow, these kids are really upset. Someone go in that room and tell them that everything's okay. Like this is, you know, c- calm them down. This isn't okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it feels very real. You know, the emotions feel very much forefronted, which should theoretically clash with how pointedly fake the animation is in terms of like, like Agnew says, they, they're really stressing out that it's hand drawn and that you can see uh, the animation lines and you can see that, you know, the, the lines are, they're coloring outside the lines. And so like, the animation is completely unrealistic and performances are very raw and that should clash, but it really doesn't. Instead, it really makes both halves feel so much stronger and far more powerful. I think. I think part of that's that they that uh, they use like yeah no that's a really good point and the way they use some of the more abstract animation techniques to sort of like key into that emotional state. Um, like again, uh, not not to get into spoilers, but there is a uh, capital letters a moment 
in Act Three, <laughs> <laughs> where where that sort of raw emotion has to come out of both girls um, and, and both both actresses, like both actors, really bring it. And while they're doing that, they there's like all these, you know, the background turns into these like jagged, pointy lines of like <laughs> just this this like very like it's like broken glass that's set against the background of this, you know, very fraught emotional moment that just trampled all over what should have been something much less, you know, dangerous and sad. Um, or or you mm-hmm. know, there's also another, you know, big moment where the frame literally contracts as Robin is making a choice that will determine, you know, what what her freedom state will be over the next, yeah. you know, 30, 40 minutes of the movie. And like the frame changes size to to show what, you know, where where her emotional journey is taking her. And that's yeah. so exciting. Not to I don't want to bash. But I, I love Pixar, so I'm not bashing everything like that. But just kind of American animation in general, specifically feature animation, it has a, a very specific look that Pixar basically chose for Toy Story, and everyone else has been following it for the last 25 years because that's what's popular, and that's what you know it suits CGI very, very well. And there have been some fantastic movies, and Pixar has a lot, of, you know, has get, been getting kind of more diverse with how they use it, and other studios have been, have been doing more experimental stuff, but. I mean, there are shots in this movie and, and moments that like that make me just literally like, cackle just from the animations. Like 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 the way I play with the aspect ratio. You know, there's one transition where like where all the color drains out of the frame and then it floods <sighs> back in to start the next scene. <laughs> or or like you know, like right right from the get-go, like they animate the pack of wolves to like flow together. So it looks like a wave of like fur and, and brown and it's like God, no one would ever do that. You, you know, you, you couldn't do that with a CGI. Uh, it just that kind of doesn't really work with with that with that kind of animation. And there's not really any like major two D. Uh, you know, correct from wrong. There's no real like major two D feature animation happening in America outside maybe some, some of the Netflix stuff. Um, so it's just so refreshing to be like, wow, like this medium of animation, like it can do so much. It's so expressive and so elastic and you can tell so many kind of stories and capture so many different kind of emotions if, and there's no boundaries to what you can do in the same way that, you know, Spyros was so, you know, so exciting a couple of years ago. It's like, wow, you can really do anything with this. You just have to like be willing to throw caution to the wind and like, you know, pour everything into it and just assume like, no, people will go with this. <laughs> it's insane, but people will take this ride if we invite them to take it with us. Yeah. And like I said, at the beginning of this conversation, like I'm not one to immediately dive into, you know, animation, but even in the animation I've seen, you know, Pixar and whatever, uh, you know, whatever, you know, uh, DreamWorks animation I tend to watch too. You know, in this film, like there, uh, to your guys' point, this 2D animation, you know, continues to play with the medium, or or at least show me things that I don't normally see, like in any anim- any animated movie, like in terms of perspective, or in terms of like geography, in terms of like split screens, in terms of like uh, what what are we actually seeing? Are we seeing split screen? Are we seeing like a forced perspective? Like all that stuff, it's playing, it's being inventive <laughs> with the medium that I like, that mm. I like, you know, have a, uh, being shown. Uh, something new, or, or to my eye, something new that I don't normally see in animation, and have it be playful like that. So that's what I love about this movie too. It just, it just plays with the form, and shows me things in ways that you know it doesn't necessarily have to be real. 
you know, it can play with like how we see reality because it's a cartoon because it, 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 it allows for that playfulness, you know, in terms of perspective and geography. And I love that because I, I, it's, not, it's not expected for me because I guess a lot of people just tend to want reality. You know, I think that's what Pixar is yeah. going for. Again, not tonight. This is not an anti-Pixar show, okay? <laughs> But you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. but you know, it, you yeah, know, you're you're not going to find like much bigger fans of Pixar in, in terms of like their their modern output. Like I I fucking love them. They're great at what they do. But but being able to like marry the sort of very clear um, clear storytelling that you sort of need to connect with a, a younger audience. Like there has to be not necessarily like it, it doesn't have to be like kidified or dumbed down but it does have to be very narratively clear and coherent right and just very mm-hmm. understandable and marrying that with the the far more impressionistic and stylistic and sometimes even abstract things that they're doing in animation like that's just i i think that winds up connecting to the audience even more in some ways than a more traditional animation style like if you know how to use that right going just a little bit off the rails visually to sell a point that you know is coming up in your story that you know you've clearly built to but then just adding that visual element i think spider verse is probably the best like you know sort of pairing you could you could throw in to to make an example of that it's like you know it's you know, spider verse is a is a movie with lots of spider-man that ends with a big beam in the sky battle but everyone talks <laughs> about it being this you know pop-out masterpiece because it does do all these visually abstract things that very clearly inform the the character and narrative emotionally. And the thing that's exciting about Wolf Walker's approach to it is that, uh, and compared to the other movies from Tom Moore, like uh, Book Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea, is that both of those movies have a similar, you know, it's very much the same animation style. That very, you know, geometry first and that very kind of abstract. But those movies. Kind of had to reserve the big flurries of those for like specific set pieces, like with uh, when like there was a monster sequence or a battle, things like that. And then there'd be long stretches where they, again, it's the same animation style, but it's a it's more kind of down to earth, uh, people talking. Whereas with this film, he's figured out a way to continue to be that experimental and that impressionistic, even during the quote unquote uh, boring scenes where people are you know having conversations. Like, even those scenes you watch like. I can't get over how beautiful it is watching two people stand and have a conversation because of how they're both designed and how like it's framed. Like literally every frame of it is the most beautiful thing you've seen. And then it just keeps topping itself. So. Now, as we wrap up, cause we could talk about this movie for hours, but uh, uh, I also want to talk to you about uh, your other your quick hits on like what, uh, what other movies you loved in 2020, but let's, let's go around and just do uh, you know, try to at least do our closing thoughts on Wolfwalkers. Um, Agnew, why don't you go first? Closing thoughts on Wolfwalkers. Um, this feels like it, it's weird to call like, you know, a movie that's less than two hours long. It feels like an epic in a way that a lot of animated films don't. Um, and not just because like cartoon saloons been getting longer with their movies, like secret of Kelsey, like 75 minutes long. And so, like, they started very, yeah, with, <laughs> yeah very, very quick and, like, very pointed. Um, and this feels, like, almost sprawling by comparison because they have so much in terms of, like, big settings and lots of characters to play with. But, like, you know, it, it just really feels like a, a good movie of the moment because 
um, Tom Moore is very unapologetically um, anti-imperialist Irish. <laughs> I mean, the, the entire the entire film is about giving a big old finger to Oliver Cromwell and and you know Western imperialist expansion in a general sense and and it does so like very deliberately the the first the opening of the movie is like hey here's all the beautiful woodland creatures and then it does like a quick story beat and then it does another version of that oh look here's all the beautiful woodland creatures and all their homes are being chopped down and the trees are gone and this fucking sucks and then like, <laughs> the entire rest of the movie is just all about like what kind of a dick bag you'd have to be to think that's worth it um and then it's yeah, it's so it's like really cool of the moment because it's definitely about, you know, trying to, you know, look at the world in a different way and, you know, giving the finger to fascism because fascism can go fuck itself. And that's always a good thing. <laughs> um, but just it, it it's just a um, a very exciting sort of like kickoff to this this new decade of animation, like because I think the last the last decade that we saw the 2010s were like a really good run of of animation because you had kind of like DreamWorks and Disney and Pixar all kind of like delivering some really good stuff. Um, but this feels like sort of a, not necessarily a taking of the torch, but it definitely feels like a definitive like stamp from a very exciting and very talented voice in the medium, kind of like kicking us into the 2020s. Like this is what's possible with 2D and drawn animation, even like 10, 20, 30 years after, you know, people kept thinking it was dying because feature animation has been dying since the early 1980s. But yeah, this is just like a, a very definitive, like, Nope, still here, still whips ass. It's still got very cool stuff to say <laughs> and very beautiful stories to tell. There you go. Uh, Foley, what about you? Uh, final thoughts on wolf walkers and I guess animation in general, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like Agnew says, like this definitely feels like a throwing down the gauntlet of being like, here's what's possible with this medium. Here's what you can achieve when you don't just follow, you know, what's, what's popular and what's kind of proven when you really kind of throw it all out there. Uh, and so it, it is both an incredible culmination to the past decade of growth from this filmmaker in the studio. It's going to be kind of like a, a capstone of what they've built, you know, but been slowly but steadily building over the last decade. And it also feels like a very, very exciting beginning to whatever comes next of, okay, now that we see that, that this is possible, uh, who's going to pick up that torch and just keep running with it? Um, and as exciting as the animation is, and I, again, I can't stress enough just how friggin' beautiful this movie is uh, and how you know, giddy and delightful maybe just to watch it play out because of how incredibly accomplished its visual approach is uh, underlying all of that is an incredibly affecting human story uh, there. You know, the studio is very, very good at that. Uh, they've really, really topped themselves. And the fact that not to spoil anything, but all of their movies at this point have very much tempered uh, the highs with very strong lows. It's very, it a very strong quote of melancholy kind of going through all of their work. And so the fact that this movie has that same emotional intelligence and has that same depth and is willing to go to dark places, but is ultimately uh, a deeply triumphant uh, and uplifting story, it's really the kick that you needed at the end of 2020 to be like, uh, there are horrible forces at work in the world. Good people can make terrible decisions uh, for what they think are good reasons. And yet through all of that, 
these you know love and these bonds that form between strangers can persevere and can lead to beautiful outcomes. Uh, it's really, really the movie I needed right now. So for all of these, both technical and personal that we've described, uh, stop listening to this podcast and go watch Wolfwalkers immediately. Or I'll yes. find you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like Canopy has Secret of Kells. So if you've got like a library account, just go on Canopy, watch that. And Song of the Sea is on Netflix. So you, you're all fucking set. Yep. It's probably not even going to cost you all that much money. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, like like sometimes with animate with animation, especially global animation, it can be like you kind of gotta track some stuff down to get access to like the deep cut stuff. It's like no, these movies are out there at your fingertips if you want them. So go go get them. That's that's actually a great segue to my next little segment here, which is something I've been talking about with other guests, and I want to hear you guys' opinion on it too. Surviving twenty twenty, um, and <laughs> and another reason why I'm doing this series is because it's been a crazy year um uh, uh for me personally for every for everybody you know in varying ways it's affected everybody mm-hmm. and um you know it's 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 very much like a first world quote-unquote first world problem but just the fact that you know i would normally around this time be in a theater watching like two movies like every <laughs> sunday and like catching up with all these oscar movies you know and getting my top 10 of the, of the year ready Fortunately, you know, uh, fortunately, I have like you know uh, enough subscriptions to these services where I can see some of these movies, but it's still just so hard to, you know, <laughs> experience what I've experienced before in a, you know, at home. You know, it's a different right experience. So I just wanted to get your perspectives on it. Um, I'll start with you, Foley. Just how has your movie watching changed in the last year, and what have been like some bright spots? I mean, of course, Wolfwalkers, but like, what other experiences have you had at home? You know, watching a movie this year that you've said, "Oh, you know that 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 that's actually, that, that's, yeah, actually a bright spot in 2020." Ah, uh, well, to be honest, man, I've, I've definitely retreated comfort food uh, viewing throughout this year. I mean, I've, I, I I put together my list of movies that I watched, and I, I watched a lot of great stuff in 2020. I watched a lot of great historical stuff that was new to me. Um, but a lot of this year's surviving has been. I'm just gonna watch my favorite shows on a loop on Hulu and Netflix. I uh, just feel not miserable. <laughs> um, in terms of stuff uh, that were, you know, bright spots in the year, I'm going to throw out a name that I know Annie's going to agree with. Uh, her name is Kipo. Uh, mm. She lives in the age of wonder beasts. It's a show on uh, Netflix and it's cartoon. Uh, it is three seasons all came out this year. Uh, everything we've talked about with wolf walkers pretty much all applies to Kipo and the age of wonder beasts. It's, a phenomenal show. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, it has a perfect, and because it's only three seasons, uh, it's basically a perfect little thing. So after you've watched Wolfwalkers, watch Kipo. It's awesome. Uh, other cool things this year. I mean, Bill and Ted obviously was a bright spot oh, yeah. to get those guys back and have that movie rule. How the fuck uh, did that happen? Uh, because <laughs> like, of, oh, that was so know. great. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it was like is. one of my favorite surprises of this year because I I was I was terrified. I was like, "There's no way this is gonna yeah. work," and it worked. I, I I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. It ass. it's so good. Yeah, it's so good, and it has the and uh, it's a movie that is great. And the last ten minutes, like, kind of just completely elevates this like transcendent level. Of, like, wow, this movie is not only a great time; it actually genuinely moves me. Has something to say about like the world and aging, and it's so loving and beautiful i love it love it love it so much um and then other stuff like uh you know american utopia with david byrne that was phenomenal 
uh, David Co- personal history of David Copperfield that just came out a couple weeks ago uh, was phenomenal, and also just give you like gets you know, warm in the t- in the tummy. Um, I Jalakatu is the movie that I've been really kind of trying you know bumping of late. It's an Indian movie. It is one of the most insane things I've ever seen yep. uh, in terms of just like the filmmaking of it. <laughs> so I've been very like evangelical about everyone needs to watch this just so they can like know that this exists because it's unreal. Um, and other one, and then uh, Lost Bullet on Netflix is like one of the best action movies of this year that everyone should try. I don't think it really got a lot of attention, unfortunately, uh, but it's a fantastic uh, small French action movie uh, with car stunts in it that put the last couple of Fast and the Furious to shame because they actually did it for real. <laughs> wow. It's also like 90 Lost- minutes flat, so it does not waste your time at all. Yeah. No, Lost Bullet is a, it's a, it's a phenomenal little action movie that, uh, and I think Agnew talked about this in the, in the little article he wrote about where he's like, it's completely economical. It doesn't have a lot going for it, but it just uses everything it has to perfection uh, and it's it's just such a great time. So everyone who is ninety minutes, go watch Lost Bullet on Netflix and and thank me later. <laughs> I, I have to watch it. Uh, it. It completely went under my radar. So I, I I'm putting it on the list. Um, and, uh, what about you? Surviving twenty twenty and some bright spots within that. So I've I've very much relished the um, both the the bounty of streaming goodness that that is there if you're willing to do a little bit of digging and also the um you know one of one of the reasons I was excited to come on here and talk about this is because I really appreciate you know specifically what you're trying to do Marcelo is like you know bring bring attention to the the bright spots in cinema in a year where cinemas as a place to go didn't exist cuz you know that that also you know like bums me out like I I did the whole like you know Oscar movie, you know, best picture nominated, let's go see those at the theater sort of thing that Regal did like early this year before theaters all closed. And so I would love nothing more than to be doing that again. Um, but uh, there's, there's actually like, like fully said, if, if you're willing to do a little bit of digging and, you know, not even all that much, there's just a bunch of really cool stuff that you can find on, you know, not, not even, just like the the more obscure stuff, but like just little um, you know under a couple layers things on Netflix or, or Hulu. Um, so I've I've been really relishing like the uh, the people online, you know, like like you and Brendan that will talk about like, hey, you know, I just saw this thing that was really cool. You guys should check this out. Um, and so I've just been trying to like spread that out as much as I can. Um, so like for example, um, I guess this is one of the more like big big profile ones. Was like I just finally caught up with Freaky. Um, oh, which is yeah. the you know the body swap slasher comedy <laughs> and you know i i loved happy death day i haven't seen happy death day to you yet but the the first one really rocks my boat and freaky was everything i could have wanted from a laurie strode switches body with michael myers riff <laughs> yeah and you know it's it's funny it's got great kills it's got a good heart um you know so i was uh that that sort of thing that that's really kind of been saving my ear is is finding that sort of um, you know, really good quality stuff that's yeah, that's out there. Um, and I'll I'll also you know just kind of like echo Foley's thing about um, children's animation in general the last couple of years in terms of like animated shows. Um, if you've got like a three or four year old kid, um, Kipo, Hilda, The Owl House, there's all this really good shit that you know I'm mad that I didn't have as a kid. 
but I'm, I'm really glad it's out there for, yeah, that I'm really glad it's out there for, for people who want it. Oh, so good. Uh, and uh, to jump back on freaky for a bit, uh, I, I don't think I have anybody lined up to talk about that. Like, uh, as, as the main movie of their segment, but I know I'm going to be talking about it through these next few weeks. Cause, uh, I have to, because it, it was one of those where I knew I was going to like it because <laughs> I, I love Christopher Landon. I love the first two happy death days. But and I was like, oh, how well? How good can it be? You know, if it's just as good as Happy Death Day, you know, one and two, you know, I'll be fine. But I think sitting on it now, it's I think it. I think it is better, and that's crazy for me to say because I love those two movies. <laughs> um, and and one thing I should also say, one thing that's kind of you know helped me get through this is I have a drive-in theater that I go to. Uh, it's like forty minutes away, but still, it's worth the drive to see like newer movies that come out. I saw Tenant there. Uh, I saw Freaky there. Um, I, I, I kind of want to go see Wonder Woman 1984 there. So I, I, I just took, I took a chance like three weeks ago, it was like 50 degrees. I was like, I'm going to go to drive in to watch freaky and it was worth it. I was freezing my ass off, but it was worth it. Um, so it, yeah, that, that movie, that experience, another saving grace of this year, because again, uh, to, to that point of, you know, the, you know, a reason why I'm doing this is to, you know, put a spotlight on some of these movies people may, you know, may may not immediately uh, think about because we're just in a in a hellscape of like, you know, what's out on VOD? Or, you, know, you know, is is something playing in theaters and not available on VOD? You know, but right now, as of this recording, you can rent Freaky at home, and I say it's definitely worth it. So check that movie out because it is it is so good. It's one of the best surprises of the year. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, Brandon, Brandon, thank you. This was fun. Uh, great talking <laughs> to both of you. Uh, before we go, why don't we do plugs? Uh, where can people listening find you online? Let's go to Foley first. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at the true Brandon F. I publish uh, stuff at uh, synapse.co, C I N A P S E.co. Uh, and I have my own podcast called Black Sun Dispatches that you can look up and listen to uh, if you so choose. There you go. Uh, uh, Agnet, what about you? Uh, well, you can, you can also find me uh, occasionally contributing to Synapse at uh, cinapsc.co um, or follow me on Twitter at blcagnew. Um, if you're into more podcasts where you can hear me for God knows what reason, you'd want to do that. But um, <laughs> I've, I'm a, a frequent guest on the uh, School of Movies podcast, and also I just recently recorded um, for the Matinee Heroes um, uh, with uh, Alan Cerny, uh, doing a uh, a thing about Amadeus that'll be coming out like near the beginning of like I think like right at the beginning of next year um, so if you want to check that out that's at Matinee Heroes um, I've been a, a, a frequent guest on there as well for stuff like you know Rocky or Escape from New York um, and uh, you know also um, if you want to go way back in the way back machine you can hear me and, and Sam from Talk Film Society talking about how extraordinarily horny everyone is in Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot, I forgot about that. Um, please check that out. Um, I, and honestly, this is a fun conversation. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon Foley and Agnew for coming on. Um, and to close things off, uh, as I always say at the end of all these shows, uh, hey, see you at the movies. No, I never say that. All right, bye. <laughs> Thank you.